Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika Soft Gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving. Now, in season two, The Cannamom Show continues on its mission to empower women-centric cannabis businesses by sharing their stories with you. Go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. I'm working on that intro of the time, and my son's a musician. So welcome, people. <laughs> welcome. Nailed I'm it. your host, Joyce Gerber. This is The Cannamom Show. Thank you for tuning in for another inspiring canna story. Dave, I don't really have a rant today. I know it's been a consistent theme, but today, nothing. No, not no nothing <laughs> political or well, we, we didn't have any Supreme Court justices pass away or nobody does. Yeah, nothing, yeah nothing, so, so maybe it was a good week then. <laughs> Although I do want to give a shout out. I don't know if you follow cannabis news in Massachusetts, but the Cannabis Commission yesterday just voted on their. I'm going to look this up. Wholesale delivery licenses, which hopefully, if done correctly, will impact and support social equity and economic empowerment candidates in Massachusetts. So this could be a big win. It's exciting. I am speaking to a couple of women who've been working on this initiative later in the year, but yay, Massachusetts. So you said wholesale delivery, meaning the delivery of cannabis to people's homes like you did for the wholesale without a brick and mortar. Yep. And it would be only go in the licenses would be maybe only would only go to social equity and economic empowerment in order to build up equity in these businesses, which is the whole point is reinvesting in communities that, um, we're most hurt. And like I talk, it's always about capital. It's always about money. So mm. here's like giving them like a little, and this has been this thing. It's been the courier. They've been trying to figure out the regulations. So it has actually provided some sort of base for a foundation for a real business. And I think they're getting closer. So hopefully it works out. Cool. So go Mass, that. like you said. Go yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah. All right. Step forward, step back. We're doing our best. But <laughs> today, let's talk about our guest. Okay. Today, speaking with us from Florida 
is the president of the cannabis consulting firm, Green Sustainable Strong. She is an agricultural and cannabis attorney who was named one of the top 12 cannabis attorneys in Florida. In addition to being an accomplished attorney, she is an advocate and cannabis radio personality. Today's guest is the kind of lawyer who makes me proud to be one too. Her belief that Practicing law and advocacy for the disadvantaged go hand in hand is why she is such a powerful advocate in this new world of cannabis. She credits her own success to her hardworking and strict Jamaican parents and stays motivated by remembering that her son is watching and knowing she needs to be the light that he follows. Please welcome to the Canna Mom Show, attorney Cheryl Murray Powell. Welcome, welcome. Hey there. Hi, Dave. Hey, Joyce. How are you? I'm glad to be here. We're glad to have you, Florida. Let's just jump right in. So I've been making a map of all the canna moms, canna ladies I've been sure. talking to across the country, and I have it on my desk, but I don't I have some. Well, last week. Oh, and I'm getting there, but let's talk about Florida. Florida is special in so many ways. So you're down in Florida. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a straight Floridian. I went to high school here. I left for college, came back, finished up college here. I went to law school here in Florida. Florida's the it's, it's my definite home, but I am a New Yorker as well. So I was born in New York, okay, but, uh, but a lot of interesting things happening in, in the, the Florida market. Uh, it's just interesting how you can see a, a market evolve. And you've been of there. Course, yeah, of course, you, you're looking at the mature markets, the Cali's, the Colorado's, for him, looking at Kentucky and observing what's going on there. What's next for us, possibly? Definitely looking at the equity equity movement happening across the country, look, gathering best practices, such as looking at the marijuana legislation in Illinois, what's on paper in Maryland, if not the execution of equity in Maryland. But I do a lot in the, the hemp space. Thank you for that introduction. I When we talk about the industry and working on diversity, that's been my passion since I got involved. And a lot of that work's been in the hemp industry. If you think about the hemp industry, it's definitely less diverse than the marijuana side of things. And I think in the illicit industry, back in the day, it was a very diverse marijuana industry. And then when it became legal, we saw a lot of that slip away. But when you look oh. at the hemp side, it's even less diverse. And then so when this is a, the so this actually, Cheryl, can I kind of back up on this? Because sure. this is something I don't think my audience actually understands so much. So sure. I interviewed Chia Rodriguez from Mendocino County last week. Yeah. And she has, she's like anti-hemp. Not anti, but she's got like a whole yeah. as a cannabis cultivator. So sure. um, we talk about it's the same plant. It is the same plant, but they're very different businesses, specifically at this point. The legality is different, too. So I don't know. Maybe talk about what where you are in Florida specifically, I guess, what hemp sure. is and what cannabis is and what really is the differences and where you might work together? Yeah, excellent. I, yeah, thanks for it. Because I'll start zooming and, and, and forget that I want to make sure that we appeal to all types of people in the audience, just because we need everyone in our movement. So absolutely, um, I am living in Fort Lauderdale now. I love Fort Lauderdale. My law firm, my law practice is in Fort Lauderdale, Dumar, Allsworth, Laystrom, Voigt, Wax, Adair, and Dishowitz. Been there. Wow. Since- that, okay. I just said, Dave used to work. He's a lawyer too. And he worked for um, Math oh, Lawyers cool. Weekly. And uh, that is a hysterical name. That's like almost made up. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah. Especially when I speak at conferences and there's just, oh, okay, it's a lot. But they're all great, great mentors of mine. I started working there when I was in, actually in law school as a law clerk. And I've left a couple times, like I worked in fields, which is like 
uh, mega law firm, 400 you know plus lawyers at the time. And I came back and then I left to do my own little hang my shingle and I've come back. So now I'm, I'm back home and great attorneys who've helped me pave the way and have given me a lot of insight when I was in law school to be a better attorney for my current clients. But so you're talking, so you're really focusing on the business angle of hemp. Is that where you are in the, in your law firm? I, I cover the entire industry. So I okay. do marijuana license applications. I do on both sides, like that, whether it's an equity partner, whether equity has nothing to do with it, whether there's a management agreement or not and option agreements, et cetera, and so on. I, I work against the straw man, environment. Good. That's not my favorite where you have someone's face, usually a brown face at the point of your application and you have no intention for them to go the entire journey with them. And, and gain uh, equity and capital and get some benefit. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Long-term benefit. Long-term yeah. Long-term benefit. benefit. Yeah. Long-term, long-term benefit. Long-term partnerships. But with that said, I'm on the hemp side. I'm on the marijuana side. I have an, a letter of intent with a company in Ghana to grow hemp there when they start, they start issuing out licenses. I do education for farmers in Ghana. I do work in Jamaica. I was involved with St. Vincent legal, legalization movement and, and work directly with the Minister of Agriculture there. So are you um, finding this? So are you finding that sort of internationally the hemp is mm, palatable? Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> It is. Hemp is a little bit more sanitized than really going all in with the marijuana side. There are phases of comfort and legalization. So when you're talking about legalization structure, you have the decrim first. Yeah. Decrim of marijuana, usually probably mixed in with some hemp post farm bills. And then you'll have your medical marijuana environment. And then you go into your adult use environment from there. Also, it's a stepping stone with introdu- introducing hemp to an environment or to conservative populations. When I well, can I just talk about Florida so specifically? Yes, so sure. we do work with farmers, hemp farmers in Florida. I am a hemp thing? farmer in Florida. Oh, there are. Okay, I, I am one. <laughs> oh, you I, are. Okay, all right. I but how, what about? I manage oh. three farms: one in Florida, one in South Carolina, and one in Maryland. Okay, so what does that look like? Florida's got a funny reputation. You seem to have. A little bit of everybody. You have some very conservative people who are literally never probably ever come over to your side who are probably yeah. more outdoorsy people and people on the other extreme who never stop growing. And I, I just so well, how are you finding the more, how are you finding the more conservative people? Because that's what I think farming yeah. would be. I think I'm going to start with my answer from the product side. So when you approach conservative audiences, and again, keep in mind there are CBD products being introduced, all types of things, including in multi-level marketing. So we're touching a very diverse yet pop conservative population, we usually lead in with topical and, and, and a tincture. Uh-huh. That's the minimum you should start with. One, because the topical is how you introduce to conservative communities, senior communities, because everybody, especially us older folks, we have our aches and our pains. Oh, yeah. But if you get them using a topical, then they're more open to the fact that there are benefits to CBD or other cannabinoids or. Okay. So, so, so my, so my mother who is 85 has been on my show, has been to a dispensary, has sure. been to a grow facility. I gave her all the best products. She will not use it. So how do you do that? <laughs> Again, I would, I, we always start with the topical and get them using the topical. And then from there, they may consider a tincture. I think okay. for like in my family, I can say that 
I've had four generations of my family using my client's product because I'm very specific. Exactly. As you should be. And I say this all the time, never get your products from the gas station. The regulations and the testing are very, very tricky and they're they're tricky across the country in different areas. You have to know who's making your products. You have to know where they're getting it. You have to know where they're testing it and you have to know how they're making it. Absolutely. I had the privilege of working with Green Roads. They're one of the largest brands um, across the nation. I I was their first in-house counsel and I worked with them for two and a half, three years. So that's right. As soon as I came into the the cannabis industry, and then I also work with Sunflora, who has a different model where they have these Your CBD stores all over the country. Both have great product. I've seen how they make it. I, I have seen their COAs. So how I introduced to my mother okay. is I introduced to my grandmother. Okay. My grandmother was in the nursing home and she had dementia. Okay. So we had done all this research. My aunt is very friendly to the cannabis industry. She actually manages our distribution side of things and she goes on tour with me all the time. But we introduced the one of the tinctures, the neuro tincture and other tinctures to my grandmother, either orally, sublingually, or in, incorporated into her food. And this is, again, going back a couple of years before it was on the books legal for CBD or CBD process in the state of Florida. And we saw that she did not, she did not diminish in function as a result. So she was on a steady decline. And then when we introduced CBD, and again, this isn't making claims. This is just my no, real, no, no, I, yeah. my real life. Yeah. So, and we introduced it to my, my grandmother. And, when, and then she started improving. She started being a little bit more verbal and, and being able to stand up. She'd been in a wheelchair for a year and a half, two years. And then, my, of course, my mom goes and she bathes her and things like that. And she was able to stand up. So when my mom saw as a caregiver for my grandmother yes. the improvements, then she was more open to it. That's the unfortunate thing about cannabis. Usually we get opposition until that person is sick or someone in their family is sick. And we want people to try it before that. We want it to be an option laid out with all the other options. Exactly. It's an alternative to um, traditional pharmaceuticals. We're not saying replace anything you have. We're saying just give it a, a chance. Even We want it to be the first resort, not the last resort. And I hear this all the time from the ladies who are in this industry, which is why I say women in this industry are uh, approaching it differently. Yeah. Or al- almost, almost to a T, everyone has healed themselves or healed someone they love. And that's where the conversion came in. And exactly what you said, they had seen this, they had gone to the end of their ropes. That wasn't the right. first thing they did. It was always the very end of their ropes. I often feel like I wouldn't have been brave enough to do some of the things years ago. I don't know what I would have done for my child with epilepsy. I don't know what I would have done, but these women did it. Yeah, And it was, so now they're at that moment. They understand they're, they're converts, <laughs> for better or worse. And they stay in this industry, even though it's really hard. And you know how hard it is to be in this industry. It is. Yeah. I, enjoy, I enjoy it thoroughly. I enjoy the battles as well as I enjoy the kumbayas. All right. So I, I want to keep going with your story because you're so interesting. You have 12,000 things to talk no, about. And no, I only have 40 minutes. Right, so you went from wireless to cannabis, which we don't have yes. to talk about. It, but let's talk about, you have Jamaican roots. You've talked about and you're in a law firm. So this isn't the most open community. (laughs) That's really interesting. So yes, I'm Jamaican. I'm a very proud Jamaican. I do work in Jamaica. I've met with the Ministry of 
Minister of Agriculture in Jamaica and the Prime Minister's team in Jamaica, along with a lot of places in the Caribbean. And I think being Jamaican, we naturally have this um, reputation and a lot of people associate Jamaicans with ganja, people as soon as they land, they're looking for how they can source ganja. And we don't mind that reputation. We do believe as Jamaicans, we have the best cannabis in the world. What we're seeing now is there's a, a nexus between indigenous traditional methodology and innovation and technology that we're seeing in the United States, the EU and things like that. And as I'm a first generation American, I was born in New York, but my family's Jamaican. So we're seeing more of that um, type of person as well as people who are in Jamaica, they come over here, whether it's to be educated or as immigrants, et cetera. And then when they go back with some of the technological innovation knowledge, that then we see that merger and it takes the whole industry and the reputation of Jamaican ganja, Jamaican cannabis, Jamaican medical cannabis to the next level. What a lot of people don't understand is that Jamaica has some of the best universities in the world. So then you have along, you have the Rastafarian culture, which paid a lot of the price for legalization. They were beaten yes. in the streets and people wear their fake uh, tams with mm -hmm. fake locks hanging. So they're associated with marijuana and they paid the price for that. But then you have uh, the academia where they've been researching indigenous um, plants always. It's always a part of how we approach medicine and how we approach science is looking at what is native to us. Jamaica has about 90% of indigenous plants worldwide growing in Jamaica. So can you imagine that's like a candy store for a scientist? Absolutely. So I work with um, University of Technology Jamaica directly. They have food science programs. They empower their students. They work with local farmers in order to get the farmers, the, the, the communication and, and the relationship with the pharmaceutical industry so we can get beyond the plantation-based economy system, which is traditional, where you have in the Caribbean and the islands, you have your growers, your cultivators, but you never give them the resources so that they and the, and the education so that they can process and get the lucrative end of the business, which is the processed food, the right. process, whether it's pharmaceutical or a nutraceutical. So, so, you're, um, so are you seeing, I just, I've been to Jamaica, but I don't know that much about culture and history, yeah. but I just, are you seeing a transformation in the sort of uh, the communities that are growing it? Are they getting resources? Are, they, are, are people, Is there an investment back into these communities that have maybe been decimated for a while? Yeah, I, I think there is more investment. I think we're seeing a lot of what we're seeing in, in cities and uh, states across the country where people from outside come in and they want to schlep off the top the, the, the cream, the creme de la creme. But we also see where these communities are saying, what about small farmers? And the universities are stepping up and saying, we can help these small farmers transition so that they can start their own businesses and things like that. So I love that. All right. Because I think this is for everybody. I talk a lot about, especially in America, if we truly valued small businesses, we would make this more accessible to women and women of color specifically. And that we'd, we'd put resources into this so that they can build these communities up instead of taking resources out. That's yeah. We, we fight for that in Jamaica. We, we make, and in fact, from the first, when the legalization happened, people think it's been legal in Jamaica all these years, but 2015 was when the amendment to the Dangerous Drugs Act happened, and they put in that amendment that it, every cannabis company that gets a license has to be 51% Jamaican-owned. And that was definitely taking a stand on behalf of farmers, on behalf of our small business, on behalf of the people of Jamaica, saying, 
you cannot get rich off the back or steal the resources from our country without giving back. I, I applaud the government for doing that. So are you seeing any parallels or do you see, what are you seeing between Florida and Jamaica? You're working in two different countries, literally, and they're approaching this differently. So yeah, do you think that are working Florida, that could be transitioned or Florida be avoided? Florida is the ostrich, <laughs> ostrich in the sand state. Florida is going to drag their feet all the way. We have had one round of applications. Uh, first of all, constitutionally, it sits under the Department of Health as far as the medical marijuana. So it's only medical at this point. It's only medical at this time. There's only been one round. That round was supposed to only give five licenses. So far- For the whole state? Wait, five for the whole state? Five for the whole state. So far, 22 have been given from that same round. However, that round required that you be a 30-year nurseryman, that you have 400,000 plants. There was no diversity. And the laws have changed since then, but they still haven't had another application round. So- do you, have a, do you have a central cannabis, like Massachusetts has a cannabis control commission? How does it work in Florida? It's the Department of Health. It's Department the, of Health, okay. By, by constitution, it, from the ballot initiative, they were given the authority and they just have dragged their feet. They blame lawsuits, they blame all types of things. But the people who got in that first round, the privileged individuals with 30-year nurserymen, like big farmers, they have a head start and their head start has not ended, whether they got their license and sold it to a Canadian company, or they hung in there and they created a market, maybe a, a true leaf, which again, they give a lot of money back to the community, back to the industry. But as an activist, we say, you've had enough of a head start, all of you guys who have licenses, we need another round because the laws have changed to be more equitable, even though we don't have an equity program and nothing has been done because there hasn't been an opportunity. To so, you, so, Florida, so Florida doesn't have anything like, the social equity or economic power into nothing. So what kind of community, so what are you, who you say you work with everyone in the industry, but are there specific communities you're trying to target right now who you want to be the biggest voice for? Yes. So the biggest voice, that's interesting way, way to put it. So the, uh, the biggest, got a big voice. That's good. But no, I love that you use that language. So being the biggest voice one, when I first started, it was really like diversity and diversity because it was us. We were soul voice. We didn't have a lot of support. Now we've kicked down doors and we've gotten new waves of people who can say that message, that narrative. So I've made a pivot beyond that. So I left the people who could use that diversity language and, and, and put forward that diversity narrative. And that community is growing without me being okay. that spearhead or the that's good. That's like a real, that's what you've really created an organization. That's it's not about I, you. That's a true leader. People, someone who creates something and then they leave and it's a correct something to pass on. That's, that's the truth. That's exactly what I try to do. And thank you for- It's not a club. It's not a club, people. It's an organization that's supposed to support many. Because <laughs> then you have the people who are like, I've been in for 10 years. I've been in for this year. And they're not yeah. welcoming to the new people. No, welcome the new people, empower them with the message and to move on to where there is inequity again. So then I moved on to general and I started learning as much as I could to share about general agriculture and how we can, again, get rid of some of the, the discriminatory practices in general ag. So there's so much land that's been stolen from black farmers and things like that. Now I'm, I'm taking another pivot. I'm getting more involved in just looking at hemp is about to be a dietary or CBD and, and cannabinoids may be by the FDA considered to be a dietary supplement industry. Let's look at that industry. Let's look at the opportunity for diversity in that industry. And are the people who've been 
at it for a long time in our used to be black market or illicit market, then became gray area market and now legal. But these regulations are things we haven't seen and we may not have the money to comply with. So how do we close that gap? Between- yeah, how do we close that gap, Cheryl? Well, <laughs> education. And that's why I, I like to pick up a new mantle and pass the baton because you have to get in, understand it, and then share that information in in, in ways that people can digest. Exactly. Apply it yeah. to their own businesses. So that's how I like to move. People like, oh, you're, you were doing this, but now you're doing that. Yeah, I don't want to just speak at cannabis conferences. I want to speak at the medical conferences and at the therapeutic conferences, right. and the conferences, and then the governmental conferences. That well, they need, how- and I say this about me. So I'm a lawyer. I wear pearls. I play tennis. And yeah. we have very local control around here. It's like mostly white men at small communities who are making these decisions. And yeah. I can speak in a way that they can hear me. And you can speak in a way that people can hear you. That's a gift that we could have. You know what? I say give thanks for polish. Because yeah. not everyone has it. But when you do have it, you have a responsibility. The parents that you had, parents that I had that were like education, and we wanted to play outside and they were like, no, you need to play this instrument and do, that was our life. But we weren't, we didn't know at the time what we were being prepared for. So that we can say, I don't have to stay here. One, from an employment perspective, I don't have to stay here where I'm not impactful because I'm a lawyer and I can hang my shingle at any moment. That is very empowering. But also it allows you to penetrate those less diverse environments and say, mm-hmm. I'm a lawyer. You can see my my pedigree based on all the things that I've done. And again, all those things that are on your resume, those are sacrifices. Those are sacrifices of time with your family, having fun and all those things because you know where you're going and you know that you're but first you crack open the door and you stick your foot in and then you kick the door down or you tie the door open with what used to be exercise equipment, but now yeah. it's going to let allow more people to come in. Yeah, letting people through or you're building your own table. It, it, it gives us an opportunity to sit at the table or build our own tables. I know this is, I just want to have one more question before I take a break. So I know you have been doing I can I see you all over the Internet. You're speaking all sorts of places. What are you seeing in you say, we talked about a little bit, you're trying to penetrate other areas. You're trying to get into things beyond cannabis. Are you doing a lot of medical? Medical is a thing I'm concerned about. Who's talking to the doctors? Who's doing all that well, part? Doctors, we have, we've had a, a lot of brave doctors who've been in the trenches with us right. um, from the beginning. My first article that I wrote for Florida Hospital News was me interviewing Dr. Joseph Rosado and I drove up to Orlando to do it because he was one of the first. He had a young cancer patient who was waiting and waiting to be able to be to get medical cannabis. And his unfortunately he passed on, but um, his life ended where his mom got a, a full experience of him instead of him being on morphine and unable to communicate. That's why we do it. But we got to give thanks to those doctors who, when even in Florida, they said, oh, you need to be seeing your doctor for 60 days before you can get your cannabis recommendation. The doctor said, listen, I lo- I've i lost 25% of my patients in those 60 days. It's unacceptable. So the doctors have been leading the movement. There are some conservative doctors that weren't sure in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, the brave doctors were reduced as quacks in a lot of the times, and now they're being redeemed. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, I can never say the doctors were late to the party. 
I think okay. the doctors have always been there. It's just they risked being ostracized in their industry to do, but they were always there and they were always leading the way. And we, they, I always say physicians are the gatekeepers of the cannabis experience for people. True. I, I, so this, this is a great game. So I was actually at a dinner party on Saturday, Zoom dinner party, um, and there were three doctors. Okay. So when anyone hears what I do, that's the thing. Everyone wants to talk about pot. And But again, these doctors, they were seeing people at, the, at their worst in like child psychiatry and sort of children who are at the end of a lot of other issues, but cannabis is usually yeah. mixed in there. Yeah. And it was a very interesting conversation. I don't claim to know medical things. I know this isn't magic. I know this is science. I know doctors have a lot of things going on. They can't necessarily learn about it, but I just have to keep pushing back against doctors who just won't even hear it. I don't know. It was an interesting conversation. So I, I appreciate that these doctors who have been risking their licenses really for years are really getting some redemption. That's good to hear. Okay. They're focusing on peer mentorship. So they're do they're speaking at their own conferences. They're like, Hey, any doctor who's just getting in, give them my cell phone number. I will talk to them. I will help them. They're writing books. Like actually I have here, Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, which is now a page of that Hope and Healing with Dr. Hope okay. And, and it's going to be the Cannabisiac, my company, Cannabisiac.com book of the month for the month of December, they're doing what they need to do. They're treating their patients, they're educating their peers, they're speaking at non-traditional conferences, and they've always been there. Yay. All right. On that hopeful, happy note, we're just going to take a break from my conversation with oh. Cheryl Murray Powell, Powell Murray. Do the backwards. <laughs> no, Cheryl Murray Powell. Um, down in Florida on the break on the other side, we're going to do a little quick favorite thing and then finishing up our conversation. We'll be back. Surprise. It's me again. I wanted to take a minute to thank everyone who's made season two of the Canon Mom Show so much fun and so popular. Honestly, I'm a little overwhelmed. And to show our gratitude, the Canon Mom Show team has some exciting news to share with you. If you are a cannabis-focused business or want to find cannabis industry connections in your field or want to engage with cannabis activists, we want to hear from you. Because beginning in 2021, the Cannamon Show will be offering sponsorships that will allow you to support the voices of women in this industry that need to be elevated and give you the opportunity to connect with the thousands now engaged each and every week with the Cannamon Show on multiple social media platforms, podcast distribution sites, and internationally on our Canadian Cannamon Amy Ryman site, Hip. Lives. So if you sell a product, offer a service, or want to engage others, the Cannamom Show wants to hear from you. And together, we will crush that cannabis stigma one can of story at a time. Now, back to the show. We are back. So before we dig back into our finishing our conversation, I don't really have a favorite thing today, although I will put the notes to that book in um, the show notes today. But I just have a funny little thing. So out here in Massachusetts, we have a College, Emerson College, they have a radio station called ERS. And I am a, a musical theater nerd. And I like to, <laughs> Saturday afternoons, they do a show, show tunes, like two hours of show tunes, which I've been listening to. And the other day I had a joint and I was smoking my joint and I was actually doing some quilting and listening to the show tunes. And I'm like, there have to be other cannabis smoking, nerdy show tune people out there listening to the show. We're talking guys and dolls, chorus line. I picture everything you. like rent. They got the green day, anything from all. And I'm like, 
I think my life has been ruined because I, I really do believe everything can be learned from a musical theater. Just <laughs> I should like tell you everything you need to know about life, musical theater, seriously. <laughs> so I don't know. Just want to be a plug for ERS. It's a nonprofit, viewer supported. It's students, radio. There are adults who are there too, but it's been really, I've been listening to it since my kids were little. They have all sorts of different shows, but Saturday afternoons they do. It's called Standing Room Only. We should write a musical about the Cannamom show or about women and weed. I think it would be a natural. Josh Josh can write the score. Yeah, my son's a musician. All right. There you go, people. (laughs) You never know what you're going to learn on the Cannamom show. All right. We are back. So we're going to just skip a little bit over from cannabis. But I understand. Are you working on your divinity degree and all the crazy other things you're doing in your life? Is this really a thing? Sure. But yes, I was. It was a dream of mine to be. Reverend Dr. Cheryl Murray Pell Esquire. That's a good title. (laughs) I was working on it. I I do have a a strong faith base. That's what got me through the bar exam. That's like my son had testing today for school and we prayed together before the testing. I believe God is my source. I am very aligned with Rastafari and practices of Rastafari as well, but I'm definitely a believer. And I love the fact that when you're when everything's going crazy you can get find that still quiet voice which gives you that direction and that guidance and that's when when your decisions are going in the right way that will lead you closer to your purpose and i do a talk about your your passion your purpose and i did that for women empowered in cannabis maybe a couple weeks ago and also for um some lost pre-law students actually we had a little can we do that again just you got you got a bit of pause when you're like in the moment of talking about something powerful and you you froze. So, so yeah, tell did, us what the name of the uh, just just when you started talking about the, you were very passionate, but then you froze. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. So yeah, I, I was just saying you were asking about divinity, and yes, I am a believer. Faith is my complete base. I'm aligned with Rastafari. However, I am a Christian, and I recently did a talk for women empowered in cannabis, and a similar talk for the um, HBCU pre-law conference about your passion, your purpose, and your personal contribution. And a lot of times people will mix up their passion and purpose or expect them to come at the same time. And when you have that strong faith base, you can um, determine the difference. You can make distinguish the two and not be afraid if your passion comes without the purpose or you get the pur- a purpose and it feels right, but you're not as passionate about it at, at first like my cannabis walks. God spoke to me. That's how I started going in this industry. I didn't even know cannabis law was a thing. And God said, you need to look at cannabis law. It was during the hurricane weekend. And I started reading. That was how I started. All right. We had a little technical issue at the end of that interview, but we were getting into a great topic, politics, religion. Those are my favorite things. So thank you, Cheryl for speaking with us and calling in from Florida. If you want to get in touch with her, we will put all the ways you can get in touch with her in the show notes. She's got a lot of things going on. She's a very busy woman. We might have to call her Reverend next time we see her. Thank you, Dave. Thank my canna bro for being with us today. My pleasure. Uh, next week, Amy Ryman, our Canadian canna mom, she will be joining us. I know it's been a teaser for a while, but it's coming. It's a coming. I want to thank Josh Lampkin for writing and performing the canna mom theme music. Janice for being my social media team. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canamom Show, where we are talking about 
caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one can of story at a time. Please follow us and subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.